Yes, what does this mean? Pentecost Sunday. I had a completely different idea of where my last little series would be going, but you have no idea where it was or where it's going, so it's very in keeping with the John reading that we've just had here. But it was in my mind, and um, it all hit the wall about Thursday afternoon, evening, and I thought I need to rethink this. So here's where we are. Thinking about Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday, what does the Holy Spirit mean? What does it mean that it was poured out? How does that work itself out in what I'm looking out at now? The Holy Spirit and me? The Holy Spirit and you? Really? I have a few things that I've discovered in my thinking and studying this week that I want to share, and I hope that some of them will land with you where you are in your journey. And the first one is these words from John chapter 3. We know John chapter 3 because of the great gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whosoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And almost the rest of the chapter is kind of consumed in that 3.16. But before it here is Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. And then he says in verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now the idea of wind or ruh or breeze or whatever would be, it's a biblical image of God's spirit. Spirit, wind, something in the air that can't be seen that moves and moves other things. So we shouldn't be surprised at this image of the spirit as one who's unpredictable. But actually, it's not the spirit that's unpredictable here. It's those who are led by the spirit. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Don't know where they're coming from, those people. No idea where they're going next, those people. They're just unpredictable. They're born to be wild as the breeze that blows. Which ironically was born in a Baptist church in Dublin about 20 years ago when... One of our congregation was wanting to play Born to be Wild in his former life. And the youth leader, um, she wasn't sure we could do that on a Sunday. So I thought, how do we get to play Born to be Wild at a youth event on a Sunday night? We make it biblical. So I wrote this poem, Born to be Wild as the Breeze that Blows, which nicely went in to Born to be Wild. But is that what we think of when we think of Presbyterians? There, born to be wild, those guys. Oh, my word. Last summer, I read a book by Kate Muir. I found it in one of those discount bookshops at 199. It was called West Coast. I'd just been to a wedding in the West Coast of Scotland. That's what the book was about. I thought, here, I'll give that a read. And it was really a very powerful read. I really enjoyed it. Kate Muir, West Coast. If you find it for 199 there, take that with your summer reading. But here's what she talks about in a Scottish context, about us. 
Presbyterian Church of Scotland relationship. The severe grey Church of Scotland. They're born to be wild as the breeze that blows those guys. Brown painted pews and Calvinist lack of decoration. Now, that's not us here, though. Nicely painted pews, no doubt. But we have got at least inside and outside of Fitzroy things that Presbyterianism in general sometimes don't have. Anything that might look artistic or creative. But here's the best one. Um, the mother of the main character in the book is Isla. And here's what it says about Isla. Isla had been brought up in Burnock by two... It's funny even looking at it on the page. She'd been brought up by true, two truly miserable Presbyterian parents. <laughs> two truly miserable Presbyterian parents. Before they're untimely a year apart, they taught their children not to expect much, not to have hopes that could be dashed, not to take risks, and above all, not to have too much fun. I'm looking out. <laughs> anyway, Presbyterianism. Closer to home, Colin Bateman writes a lot of books based on Botanic Avenue. Out of the No Alibis bookshop where he has found next door a detective agency and there's all kinds of things that go down. If you want just a quick, thoughtless read with a few jokes, then Bateman's your man. He said, well, it's better to have lived and died unless, of course... You're a Presbyterian. <laughs> that is the image that we have across the world. And it is an utter heresy to the word of God. How could people who base themselves in John chapter 3 so much become so predictable that we know exactly where they're coming from and we know exactly where they're not going to go. Thanks, Gary. I thought it was good too. <laughs> How could that be the case? The Holy Spirit of God, the sovereign God. Now, when I was in college, the sovereign God meant that we knew what God was going to do. He was sovereign and we'd sorted him out. It's what the Enlightenment and Reformation was all about. We have the systematic theology and we know exactly where he's coming from and we know exactly where he's not going to go. Whereas the word is completely the opposite. We will not know where this God comes from and we will not know where he's going to go in our lives. We will have a plan for our lives and it will go whichever way. As God wants to lead us and guide us. Not for our security. Or not for our benefit. But for the glory. Of his son's name. Unpredictable and free. The people of God. Born to be wild. As the breeze that blows. They'll bring peace. Where really. We should be looking for judicial justice. They will not be interested in wealth in a world that's consumed by it. They will do crazy things because the Spirit is sovereign 
and he's blowing through them and around them. That's the first thought. Then I wanted to try this week to connect, basically because I told the worship band what I was going to do two weeks ago that I wasn't going to do by Friday morning. I wanted some connection between the two. So I turned again, if you remember my sermon, who am I to have an ego to think that you remember my sermon on Acts of the Apostles? But something might come out. I'd said in that sermon not that long ago about N.T. Wright saying that the Holy Spirit hadn't been given out so that Christians could have an Alton an Alton Tars um, existence. So though the Spirit will make us unpredictable and free, the Holy Spirit is not there just so that we can have some kind of spiritual, charismatic kind of fun. It's not so as every service will be more exciting than the last one because crazy things will be done at the next service if the Spirit wants it, I guess. But it's not what we should be ultimately aiming for so what does tom wright then think well he sees it as and we've been on this little bit of a journey about an iron forever about trying to invest in what lasts he would see it as that which connects the now and the eternal the horizontal and the vertical do you remember in the iron forever trying to connect the radio service was all about connecting the horizontal life with the vertical life the horizontal everyday momentary space and time with God and eternity and how that makes space and time look. Eric sang a song in our house on Friday night about, it's a Bruce Coburn song and it's about the world and how the world is cursed and blessed and the way you see that blessing and curse will depend on how you see that world. What your perspective is as you look at the news, what your perspective is as you look at your community, And that perspective comes from the Holy Spirit linking our every day with God's eternal. So Wright says, without God's Spirit, there is nothing we can do that will count for God's kingdom. Without God's Spirit, the church simply can't be the church. The Spirit is given to make God's future real in the present. The Spirit is given out in Pentecost to make God's future real in the present. That is the first and perhaps the most important point to grasp about the work of this strange personal power for which so many images are used. Just as the resurrection of Jesus opened up the unexpected world of God's new creation, so the Spirit comes to us from that new world. The world waiting to be born. The world in which, according to the old prophets, peace and justice will flourish and the wolf and the lamb will lie down side by side. One key element of living as a Christian is learning to live with the life and by the rules of God's future world, even as we are continuing to live within the present one. In what Paul calls the present evil age and Jesus the corrupt and sinful generation. So what we're trying to do here is get this image of hope in the future that will make a difference in the present. On Wednesday night at the Enjoyful Hope, I read from a piece of work by my friend, Professor Doug Gay from Glasgow University. He's lectures in hermeneutics, um, writes books, um, does great homilies, was in a rock band, plays mean guitar. I hate him. But anyway, he does write some great stuff, and I do love him, actually. But uh, this is from a a thing they did called The Garden to the City, which um, 
is uh, an interesting idea um, within our midst in Fitzroy. But um, this was a how well. This, oh, let me read it. I saw a vision. It was Thursday at eleven o'clock in the morning. I was standing on the Cave Hill, looking down over the city, and the cold blue autumn sky broke over my head. The Spirit of God breathed on my eyes, and my eyes were opened. I saw Belfast, the holy city coming down out of heaven, shining like a rare jewel, sparkling like clear water in the eye of the sun, and all the sickness was gone from the city. There were no more suburbs or schemes, no difference between the Malone Road and Lenadoon. I saw the lagon running with water of life, as bright as crystal, as clear as glass, and the children of Belfast were swimming in it. And the Spirit showed me the tree of life growing in botanic gardens. I looked out and there were no more homeless people. There were no women working the streets. There were no junkies up the alleyways. HIV and AIDS were things of the past. There were no more racist attacks, no more attacks on gay people, no more rapists, no more stabbings, no more Protestants or Catholics. No more IRA graffiti, no more orange marches, because there was no more hate. And I saw women walking the streets safe at night. And men were full of passion and gentleness. And none of the children were abused, because the people's sex was full of justice and joy. I saw an old woman throw her head back and laugh like a young girl. And when the sky closed back, her laughter rang in my head for days and days and would not go away. This is what I saw, looking over Royal Avenue, looking up from the city of death, and I knew that there would be a day of resurrection. I believe that there will be a day of resurrection. The Holy Spirit connects what we do now and how we live now with that vision in Revelation 21 of the city of God coming out of heaven to meet us. As we head towards the kingdom, we bring the kingdom by what the Spirit does in our midst. Two other things quicker than I would have liked, but let me throw them in here. As I read Eugene Peterson, we'll be looking at um, Ephesians uh, and from September to Christmas, and we'll be looking very intently at uh, Eugene Peterson's book, Practicing Resurrection. And uh, I, I delved into that about the Holy Spirit, which doesn't get in Ephesians doesn't get a lot of mention. It's, the Holy Spirit's in there, but uh, not in a huge number of ways. Uh, but Peterson takes us to another thinker and writer called Dr. Frederick Dale Brunner who wrote a book called The Holy Spirit, The Shy Member of the Trinity. That intrigued me. The Holy Spirit, The Shy Member of the Trinity. Now, he doesn't mean be shy, timid, or kind of cowering behind anything. Born to be wild is the breeze that blows. And this is a forceful hurricane gale when it needs to be a hurricane gale, or a gentle whisper when it needs to be a gentle whisper. But he talks about the shy. And probably this thinking maybe come out of 
what I talked about earlier where um, the Holy Spirit's almost a party piece and we go to churches where, oh, we'll have some Holy Spirit happenings tonight and, uh, and all kinds of craziness that's based around. And Presbyterians, you know, the severe, gray, miserable ones, they're, we're told that we don't have the Holy Spirit at all. And maybe Brenner's coming out of that kind of scenario because this is what he says. What the church needs, he said, is not a spirit-centeredness. What the church needs is what we might become over is that we might become overwhelmed again, thrilled again, excited again by the wonder and majesty and relevance of Jesus Christ. This is what the Spirit's about, leading us to Jesus Christ. He said, The Holy Spirit does not mind being Cinderella outside the ballroom if the prince is honoured inside his kingdom. Jesus' parting words to his disciples were, you will all receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Brunner concludes, I have become convinced that those persons who are filled with the Holy Spirit are those who are least conscious of it. All they know is that they wish to serve Jesus and they feel that they're unprofitable servants. Now you see, that's where I look out at you again. And I look for the Holy Spirit again. And I see where the Holy Spirit's at work. If it's something that we conjure up and worship. But if it's something that we see. Just working itself away. In the lives of all of those that I look at at the moment. That joyously I could probably point to. Oh you're saying. Not me Steve. But does Brunner say. They feel the unprofitable servants. I've told you before about the greatest missionary I ever met. Hannah McDowell, she lived 10 yards from the church, never moved from it. But if you go to First Antrim, it'll be amazing how many people will say, I was just walking past the church one day, and Hannah was standing, and she just said hello to me, and I stopped, and she invited me. Or... You go into her home and she says, now we have these people in the Philippines and we have these people here and, and, this is the, and I pray for them every day. More godly woman I'd never met, but she wasn't crazy. She was just living this very seemingly normal life that was investing in forever. Maria Elena will tell us in a few weeks' time about what she did in Colombia. I've seen the photographs. In the name of Fitzroy, in very ordinary ways, she wouldn't come up today and tell us that she's the most filled with the Holy Spirit person in the world. But there are people in Colombia wearing little woolen hats or who were fed for a few weeks because somebody led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, did just very ordinary things and went home and fed people. Or John Montgomery. I go into a cafe in Calvin College looking for somebody he's told me will be there. And the guy serving me the coffee when I, the coffee of the day was a nutty Irishman. And uh, that was the name of the coffee, not the one buying it. And I said, nutty Irishman, that, that's racist. And the guy behind the counter who um, was American, well, I don't know that he was, but he might have been Asian, but he said to me, oh, you're from Ireland. Do you know John Montgomery? Does everybody in this place know? And, uh, oh, I know that guy. I know that. And just in these small ways. But I could go around any of you. And just those moments when you bumped into somebody 
or when you went and did something, or when you spoke somewhere, the Holy Spirit just increases the kingdom a little bit more. You're born to be wild as the breeze that blows. When you're doing things you're not even aware of, really hit me that one of the most insignificant things I thought I'd ever done was significant. I was doing a fundraiser for uh, our trips and I had uh, Johnny Parks to sing at it and he got up and he was singing at it and he said, and this is maybe 15 years later, he said, Steve went to China in 1990 and he sent me a postcard. And that amazed me, he said. I was just sending a postcard. But where it comes from and where it goes, nobody knows what it means to somebody when you say hello or you send a postcard or what it might be. The shy one because the spirit, for the most part, not always, works in a very ordinary ways, very eternal ways. And he's not about himself being the center. It's all about Jesus being the center. Finally, and I really don't have time for all this, in John chapter 14 to 16, there's these passages where Jesus is about to leave the disciples and he's given them his last kind of uh, talks and Pep talks about what's going to happen, etc. And he talks a lot about the Spirit. And in those passages, let me read one or two of them. John 14, 15 to 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comfortability with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I will ask the Father, and he will give you a comforter to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. John 14, 25 to 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Chapter 15 and 26. When the Comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Again, coming back to Christ. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The words that, put, that John uses in his gospel for the spirit is parakletos. Now I say that as if I am one having authority, and I am not. But as I looked at this this week and tried to see the different words that are used for spirit, this became a really interesting one for me. Because I've, in those translations you've just heard, you've heard it translated as comforter. It's the same word. Sometimes it's comforter, sometimes it's counselor. Sometimes it's translated in different ways. So I was trying to say, well, what does it mean then? This, the Holy Spirit being poured out. If parakletos, what, what would this mean for the Spirit in our lives? Well, the Greek word for comforter is parakletos. But the most familiar translation, though it's comforter, the translation could be counselor or advocate as in a legal sense. So I was trying to work out, well, what does this mean? For us on Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit poured out comforter these passages. What does that mean? Well, it does mean he'll be a comforter. Have you ever been with people and they say, I just don't know how I get through it? The unseen, undergirding presence of the Spirit being a comforter. But then as we read through the New Testament, do we not realize, as Calvin went on and on about, that we can't really understand the Scriptures without the Spirit and the Scriptures being in very intimate relationship, almost like a counselor? Or do we need an advocate when things are going really bad? We just need somebody to stand in for us and sort of 
we're up against the devil and evil when it just seems it's all being too much. Well, this word paracletus almost covers all of those. And I was thinking, what does that mean? And I kid you not, I kid you not, I didn't know where I was going or where I was coming from or where I was going to. But I flicked on a TV channel as I was looking through some of this stuff. And the boxing was on. And because I was so consumed with this, I, wasn't, I haven't watched a boxing bout since Barry McGuigan. But the boxing was on. And I was reading this about the Paracletus, and I kept looking up every now and again. And as I looked up every now and again, this guy in the corner with the boxer, just at the start I noticed him giving him a wink as they were facing off, just giving him a wee, I'm standing with you here. You can take your man. And then when he got absolutely duffed this guy in one of the rounds and he's crawling back to his corner of the guy. Sit down, sit down. He's trying to fix him up because he's... Then you can see him saying to him, if you just get inside there, you're going to get him. And I'm thinking, that's it. That's it. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He stands in our corner. He's there to comfort us. He's there to give us confidence. He's there to... Look after us when we need comfort, when we need counseling, when we need guidance, when we need to know the way to go in order to win these battles that we're in. So, the way I see it in conclusion is this. That God pours out his Holy Spirit upon us between the story of Jesus that we celebrate at the table Wednesday night. The story of Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. From that part of our story... The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us to stand in our corner while we continue the story until the city falls out of the sky. The new Jerusalem. The new world. The future. Connect it with the now. So what's going on in the pews? Do you need some comfort today because everything's being thrown at you and you're feeling isolated, you're feeling lonely, you're still grieving, you're mourning, you're depressed, you're concerned about family, you're concerned about jobs, there's relationship breakdown. The comforter, the spirit, wants to just seep in, dab the eye, stitch it maybe. You're thinking, where am I going next? What am I going to be doing? What should I do about this? The Holy Spirit, the comforter, Wants to seep in, give you some guidance and leadings. Where you're coming from, where you're it could be crazy. Are you looking for some courage just to make that stand for Jesus? Then the Spirit's saying, Yield, come on, we can do it. Come on, we can do it. Because you don't have to wait until something tabloid. Spendiferous happens before you know you're filled with the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit's here. Just watch and listen. Look for him and pray to him. And see what he might do among us. Let's pray. Lord, we love that vision of the new Belfast And it would be a ridiculous idea to think that we could do any of what we've just read about in that new city. But by your spirit, we could. We could make an impression on homelessness. 
We can defend the gay people getting beaten up. We could try and get rid of this Catholic Protestant divide. We could make an impression in the streets around our church and make them slightly safer. By your spirit, Lord, we could make an impact. Help us, Lord, to see the spirit within us. Help us to see what the Spirit's doing in our lives, leading us to Jesus so that we might follow him and connect now and forever, the momentary and the eternal, this city and the one that will come out of heaven. Make us aware of your presence in our lives, we pray. Amen.